Hey, what's going on? Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance. Drance are, of course, also Canucks insider covering the team at The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. And uh, we've got two days off here before Game 3 of the Stanley Cup Final. But fortunately, we have a developing and currently breaking uh, three-way trade happening, not involving the Vancouver Canucks, but a a really fascinating three-way deal happening in the NHL right now. And we're still trying to work out all of the details. I just saw a tweet from uh, Jeff Merrick kind of adding another piece to it here. But basically, it's a a three-way deal between Philadelphia, Columbus, and L.A., Columbus getting Ivan Provorov, Philly getting from L.A. Sean Walker and Cal Peterson, L.A.'s first-round pick, which is coming from Columbus because they had already acquired it, L.A.'s second-round pick, L.A. Pro- or until now, Kings prospect uh, right-handed defenseman Helge Granz, and I just saw that Jeff Merrick is also reporting that Philly will be getting Columbus's second-round pick, or a second, from Columbus as well in this deal. Uh, and basically all that L.A. is getting here. So it's Provorov to Columbus, all that other stuff I just mentioned to Philly. L.A. ends up clearing uh, almost $5 million of cap space in the deal, which is the return on their end and why they're giving up assets. Yeah, so I'd, a I'd lot lo- going on here. I'd look at it as $4 million because you lose out on the ability to bury Cal Peterson. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So yep. it's like, don't look at him as a $5 million hit. Look at him look as, as a three point. You know, nine five million dollar cap sure. or whatever that is, right? So I'd look at it as four million dollars in cleared space, and and this is the first. There's a lot of concepts here that are worth. It's a real. About, this is a really fascinating unpacking, trade. pulling yeah. apart, and examining from a Canucks perspective. But the first one I think is the most pressing, and that is that L.A. has sort of set the market in a meaningful way on what it's going to cost to clear cap space with this trade, right? Now, Cal Peterson is a really unique asset from the perspective of being bad money, okay? Mm -hmm. Because there's two years of term left on the deal. He's a goaltender, right? And he literally was unplayable in the NHL last season and is like well south of 900 save percentage in his last 47 NHL games. He also wasn't good in the American League. <laughs> 904 in the American League, right? So a $5 million investment in Cal Peterson for any team is really tough to swallow. Here's, though, the factor that makes him unique as a toxic asset. If you were to buy out Cal Peterson's contract, okay, his bought-out cap hit would be $5.16 million which is above the number of his actual contract. Like it's not ideal. It's a buyout proof deal, at least through this year. And if you're LA and you are meaningfully like, man, we can take a really big step. The leverage of this season, the leverage of doing things like keeping Gavrikov, which it seems like they're on the verge of doing yes, is through the roof. And and so you needed to pay and, and they had to pay exorbitantly. So that's a $10 million cap liability or, or at least an $8 million cap liability if you want to include the AHL reassignment. 
in moving off Cal Peterson's deal, plus moving off Sean Walker. Now, Walker's an interesting one because he'll probably retain some value, I would think. I, I would... You can criticize the player all you want, and I there's, well, I there's plenty of criticism. Sorry, I wouldn't criticize the player. Sure, but you know what I mean. Like, as it finds faults with the player. Two years ago, I would have been riding hard for Sean Walker, calling him one of my guys. His mobility looked compromised yeah. in the wake of a really significant season-ending knee injury a year ago. I think it was knee. I'm He's, just going to say He has body. one year left on his deal, so he'll be an expiring UFA, and I would absolutely expect Philly to get some sort of asset for him at the deadline. Now, you never know, right? If his yeah. play continues to fall off a cliff, maybe that doesn't materialize, but every year we see depth defensemen return some sort of asset, even if it's a fifth-round pick, something like that. So I'll, I'll be, I, I, I think we're going to see that from Philly again. I'll be rooting for him, but make no mistake, like I don't think Walker was going to be viewed as anything but a cap dump based on his performance in the playoffs where he was a pretty regular healthy scratch and and the fact that just to watch him skate like if you scouted LA Kings games this season like the the bet would have the bet for anybody acquiring this guy is when he puts another f- four or five months of offseason training between him and that significant injury perhaps this looks more like the Sean Walker who was mm-hmm. you know a play driving second pair guy um, you know, in his mid-20s for, for L.A., and a really good player, a really smart and, and right-handed uh, puck-moving defenseman, you know, two-way guy, who really didn't look like that. So in order to get off that, you know, seven-ish, and really it's five because L.A. decided to retain, right? L.A. was had to retain. Yeah, so L.A. and L.A. was retaining $2 million, 30, of, two million of Ivan Provorov's uh, contract as he gets routed through L.A. Yeah. on his way to Columbus. So at the cost of clearing $5 million in space or $4 million in space, however mm-hmm. you want to cook it, and saving a pretty significant salary because that's also worth noting, Sean Walker's salary is backloaded, so his salary is mm. more expensive. Like, this is not the sort of cap-clearing maneuver. Like, Philly's not making an Arizona Coyotes-style cap-clearing maneuver. Right, because they're taking on yeah, like four mil. Like Cal Peterson has a four million dollars signing bonus due to him Whew. shortly. Right, like this is tough, and then a six. His deal is also backloaded, so this is like a big market accumulation trade by Philadelphia, and the cost of moving off about six million dollars was a second and Hallgay Grands plus a two million dollar cap hold. For the duration of Ivan Provorov's contract, which lasts how long? Two, two more years. Two more years. Yeah. Two more years. So, I mean, let's be real. Like, I actually think L.A. made off really well here. A second and a top defense prospect well, to clear, to and, clear four and to not even like their top defense prospect, obviously, which is Brant Clark, right? So, like, yeah, they're but, uh, in, top. But, but in some ways, they're dealing from a position of strength here because they're like, well, yeah, we're just going to bring Brant Clark in anyway. So, we can afford at least a little bit to give up Helga Grands because we have an even better right shot defense prospect that we're bringing into our lineup. Well, and how often have we talked about like the Dursey Clark, mm-hmm. you know, um, Faber? Helge Grand's sort of axis is a, a route for the Kings to improve. They've now liquidated two of those four, and Grand's is used to clear up a ton of flexibility in a final uh, flat cap offseason. Um, obviously, Faber returned them. Kevin Fiala. Kevin Fiala, although Fa- in Faber's case, he was not signing there. Like that was uh, the, that he, he, his asset price should be, be looked at more like when Adam Fox went from Calgary to Carolina as opposed to, wow, they dealt Adam Fox too? Mm-hmm. Or they dealt 
Brock Faber too. And then Helge Granz hasn't exactly like blown the doors down. His prospect no. stock's a little lower today than it was 18 months ago, although I still like the player a fair bit. So a second and a top defense prospect. The sort of prospect, by the way, that Vancouver simply does not. Like, there is no prospect. If Helge Granz was a Vancouver Canucks player, he would be their top prospect. Mm-hmm. Not, I don't even think it would be close. Like, I don't think we'd have to debate, you know, Lekaramaki and Aturatu versus Helge Granz for too long. Although his score, uh, okay. His scoring really, really dropped off a cliff this year in the AHL. But he's still a six foot three. He's still righty, a six foot four right shot defense well. And, and, you know, he did that at the age of 21. You know what I mean? Like, not scoring. He he just turned twenty one too. He's he was still 20. a good prospect. It's not like that's gonna. It's not like this season he had no. killed his value. No, you know but what I the mean? lack of the lack of offense is is scary. Yeah, the lack of offense is genuinely scary. But at the end of the day, six foot three righty who just played a major role for an AHL playoff team at the age of twenty. I still think that's like he's younger than Ratu. I think Ratu's twenty one, right? Uh, I think they were in the same draft year. Yeah. So so effectively the same age. Yeah. So yeah, I think I think anyway. Flip a coin. He's he's up there. It, it would be the equivalent of the Canucks trading one of their best prospects, whether it's Ratu or Lekaramaki, in addition to a second to clear $4 million in functional cap space. Right? Um, now, I don't think Garland, for example, would be viewed as a distressed asset on par with a Cal Peterson. Right? No. I don't think Brock Besser would either. But Myers might, especially given the size of his signing bonus. Like the, you know, if you're trading Myers, like I think this is a pretty good barometer of what the market's likely going to look like for that sort of commitment, right? Uh, second plus, second and a top prospect to clear. To clear now, I guess they clear ten million dollars worth of liabilities in Peterson all told. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's a second plus. But this is a good indication, I think, uh, of of that market place and that's to me is like sort of the main the primary Canucks takeaway here right just the cost of what it's going to take to move it's massive salary caps it's yeah. really prohibitive and with Tyler Myers specifically I mean that's why it continues just to make the most sense to hold him as you get closer to the deadline once the signing bonus has been paid right and then all of a sudden you can retain and you might actually be able to get an asset rather than pay something very very expensive to get off of that money before the deal right and like this illustrates that this illustrates why that's probably the best course of action for the Canucks. Let's talk about the Columbus side of this before we move on to Philly. Because okay. Philly's got the most depth. Oh, and by the way, just the last part we should say about uh, L.A. is it sounds like uh, a Vlad Gavrikov extension there is not necessarily imminent, but in the works. Uh, Kevin Weeks noting that Gavrikov's camp only wants a two-year deal. So this is very much them freeing up this cap space so that they can sign Gavrikov to an extension. But... There's something Canucks relevant there, too, which is Gavrikov represented by Dan Milstein. Have you heard that before on the radio? Has anyone in Vancouver mentioned that Gavrikov is represented by Dan Milstein? Does anyone know that? Um, we just, like, the Vancouver media now just keep a Rolodex of Milstein clients. Seriously? No, like, what I, I was, like, researching, like, undrafted, for, or, uh, like, you know, guys going back. Into the, the draft? Yeah, or into the draft, or whose rights have been relinquished. I was like, which one are Dan Milstein clients? Could wow. they end up here? Seems healthy. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but Milstein went two years on Andre Kuzmenko, mm-hmm. right? A lot of agents would have looked at a guy having a possible, I would say probable, career year and and tried to just maximize their total income. Milstein seems really willing 
to roll the dice on the cap increasing perhaps precipitously over the next two years. And by the way, Dan Milstein, great radio show guest, savvy better. I think that's a really good bet. Yeah. A really good bet by Gold Star. By the way, if Gavrikov ends up at six. Well, and I'll just put the, another uh, tweet on this is from uh, uh, Bujacross at uh, at ESPN saying that he's hearing between six or seven million on Gavrikov. Now, we'll see where that ends up, and they'll try to grind that down and everything, and who knows how the term, a two-year term, affects that. But, I mean, if you're talking like six and a half for Gavrikov, that's well, a massive number. If you're talking six and a half for Gavrikov, you're definitely talking five and a half for Graves, and you're definitely talking seven and a half for Damon Severson. Now, I always said, or I always said, I said yesterday for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> that I thought Gavrikov was going to be the class of this free agent pool, right? Like, I yeah. thought he was going to end up signing for the highest cap hit. Um, so, maybe not, but, I, you know, one reaction I got when talking to some people around the league is uh, on my walk-in as this deal was uh, was coming in was, like, Damon Severson. Oh, boy. What's he going to cost? And, of course, knock-on effects to bring this all back to what it all means for the Canucks. If Gavrikov... Is a six plus million dollar player. What is Philip Hironic work? Mm-hmm. Because one guy's <laughs> one guy's like a fifty point rate scorer. Yep. Um. Anyway, and right handed. Okay, that's gonna be a big number. Big number. Start it with eight. Well, especially because Hronik is going to be getting on the first year of his deal, presumably when the cap spikes up by like eight million. Right. Like he's gonna be in that first wave of players who are enjoying the rewards of the, no longer the, the cap being flat. Not me reporting anything, just like the way that I look at the shape of it, the Riley comp, um, it just overall inflationary pressure on defenseman salaries, and I sort of look at it and think conversation starts at 8. Again, just just a thought, pearls of wisdom. All right, let's um, do Columbus quickly, because I do want to get to Philly. I think Philly's part of this is really fascinating. But. People are going to scru- uh, scrutinize Columbus's role in this the most harshly, because what, they paid a first and a second a to first, get a and it's like... Uh, it's 22, pick 22 from L.A., and then I believe their own pick is pick 34. So, so they're, they're that's, paid a that's significant draft assets, draft capital to get Ivan significant draft capital to, get, capital to get Ivan Provorov. Because Provorov has very bad takes on social issues, mm-hmm. people have forgotten how good this guy can be. The Philadelphia situation is so dysfunctional and has been so dysfunctional. And what do I like to say about defensemen? That's where mistakes get made. Right, Provorov's value is perceived on hockey Twitter and in the commentariat. And for those of us who look at Jay Fresh cards and and assume that that's gospel, and he does a great job. I'm not criticizing him. I'm criticizing how like tweeting a screenshot of one seems mm-hmm. to like end an argument. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Watch the games, nerds. Provorov is way better than. The, like than people realize, and this trade price reflects that his value was a lot higher than people realize. Now, now they're also getting him for four point seven two five instead of the full freight of his contract, which makes a big difference. It, instead of getting Provorov as a guy who represents a top pair cap hold, cap charge, you're getting him at a second pair rate. And I think Provorov's a really good bet to bounce back. There's a lot of interesting options for him in Columbus in terms of who he could play with. He could play with my guy Blankenberg, who can help move the puck and. <laughs> And play physically. He could play with Bockvist, who who probably needs you know someone skating around with a pooper scooper <laughs> picking up his mess. He could play with 
David Yurichik mm-hmm. on like an absolutely towering mm-hmm. second pair. You know, maybe help Yurichik adjust to playing toughs in the NHL. Um, and then when you look at just like consider the bodies like Wierenski, Provorov, um, Gabranson, um, Bachvist, Blankenberg, um, Yurichik, Danton Matejchuk coming in. Like Columbus kind of has the shape of a blue line that could level up pretty fast here. Right? I mean, there's a lot of talent there in those names and a lot of guys with upside. Um, Jake Bean. So, you know, I sort of look at that as as a pretty interesting gamble overall for a team, for a team that while they've been rebuilding for three years and and at the end of this draft cycle, to to show for it, they're gonna have Leo Carlson or Adam Fantilli. Plus Cole Sillinger, Kent Johnson, Yurichik, Matejchuk, and and a bunch of really interesting late round guys like Jordan Dumai and um, Stanislav Slozel and some other guys who look like they're trending really well. So, you know, they've had this three year downswing, but that market can't really afford to rebuild in perpetuity. Yeah, right. Yarmo Kekalainen has to show some progress. You don't hire Mike Babcock to not be better next season, and effectively the primary asset they've surrendered here, the first, is. The pick they got for Gavrikov, who, by the way, once this retention is factored in, is going to cost a million and a half more for, than Provorov is. Mm-hmm. And here's a dirty little secret that hockey Twitter won't accept or like to hear. Provorov is better than Gavrikov. Well, and just on the point of you know, how quickly our, our perception of a defenseman can change based on their surrounding environment. Like, look what happened when Gavrikov went to L.A., right? Leaving Columbus and going to L.A., it was a completely different story. Now... For me, this is still this. I think this is too much to give up for Ivan Provorov, and I get it. You're getting him at less than five million. Though you can look at the extra first round pick as a bonus that you got in the Gavrikov deal, but adding pick 34 into it is still really, really steep. I I hear what you're saying about hey, Columbus can't be rebuilding in perpetuity, but that's a steep price to pay for a guy that I'm not sure really moves the needle for them. Who's well, good, but like he's on two years. Are you going to extend him after that? Oh, no, How no, much no. does it really change things well, for you? If you're, if, if you extend him after that, it's because he's played really well. Okay. If you don't, then you're telling me 18 months from now, Provorov having played in Mike Babcock's system with a bevy of puck moving options or young options on his right side, and put some space between him and the Pride Night controversy, you're telling me you retain half of that at the deadline, 2025, and you're not recouping a first and a second it depends for on how 2. he 2.375 million of Provorov? It depends on how he plays, though, He's right? 26. As you said. He's if, 26. No, 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 but as you said, like if he plays well, then they'll probably try to extend him. But if he doesn't play well, no, then I'm the, not sure they will get that I think it would be the back. team. It would be the team's performance. I'd look at this anyway from an optionality perspective because I don't have a crystal ball. But from right. the perspective of today... And the bet that they've placed, I would suggest to you that they've effectively paid a small premium, right? Moving up from LA's third to their second, so not a small premium, but a, but a but a second to third round pick premium mm-hmm. to rent Gavrikov as a replacement, as a direct to rent replacement. Provorov as a replacement for Gavrikov. Provorov as yeah. a direct replacement for um, Gavrikov. At, like, roughly the same price that they had. It's like they had this slot <laughs> for second pair LD. And they filled it with a better player at, at a completely reasonable price. I think Columbus's side of this deal is going to be massively misunderstood and cr- criticized. I like this bit of business for Columbus. 
I think this is a really interesting way of thinking about replacing guys. We often talk about, like, you have to have the courage and the guts to replace them. I think they've seized on a unique opportunity here. I know we're up against it. I would have rather seen them go out and spend on Ryan Graves or an option no, like that Provorov than is spend a, a first and second. Provorov's yeah, materially better. Second. You gave up a first and a second. Provorov is better and cheaper and way more likely to return an asset to you. Like, two years of, Gra- of Provorov. Versus like five, six years of Graves at 5-5. Five, five. Right, but like not even if close. you – So you do the two years of Provorov and your team sucks, and then you go out and try to recoup the assets. What, 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 they might not suck. No, man. no, no. But okay, I'm saying in your scenario, right, where you're able to recoup the assets, you've just kicked the value of those assets you're getting back down the road, right? So they're farther out from actually helping you. If you're a team in Columbus – I get that they but signed the, Johnny Goudreau the and they're bringing in Mike Badcock. Because you're trying to be good at some point, right? You want to have this group of guys cresting all together at the same time. Well, you want to have the guys you could pick this year be closer in age, clo- more closely aligned with Cole Sillinger and Kent Johnson. You do, but the way to think of it is more as of a like conveyor belt as opposed to a big bang. At some point, when Kent Johnson's getting paid, you're going to need the guy on an ELC. If they were good, though, like if they if they were good already or even closer to being good, I would buy that conveyor belt. Argument, I, I don't right? think you need that next wave. I don't think they're that far. Like, look at the talent on that back end. That's that's the profile of a team that can level up significantly. Not to mention Gaudreau, Lion A, Sillinger, Kent Johnson, you know, one of Fantilli or Carlson. I mean, I, I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think they're far away, man. It just feels like they're getting ahead of themselves to me. That, that's what it is. I would rather have that first and that second that they gave up. Like, again, a really, really good second-round pick than two years of Ivan Prokhorov. I think if you can pay – a. Th- like a third round or second round pick and get a third round pick back and replace like a really hard to replace 27 year old LD with a better player who costs the same amount. That's tidy business. That's like the exactly what we talk about. Be creative in replacing players. Columbus has done it, but because they've done it in a way we're not used to seeing and fitting into our worldview of like free agents, draft capital Mm -hmm. cap space, it like makes us uncomfortable and feels like a big bet. It's not. I don't think anyway. I think it's a I think it's a really straightforward, clever way of going about it. And then the last thing, Philly. And and we let, don't let, we'll, we'll get back to Philly. I yeah, just want to yeah, leave yeah. the segment with this because the big picture takeaway from Philly is is easy and painful, and then we can get into the nuts and bolts. And hopefully it like reportedly Carter Hart might be dealt while we're yeah, on the so air who here. Knows? So let's let's go. That so, would be exciting. But, but it looks like the Flyers have finally accepted that banging their head against the wall in pursuit of short-term goals, is bad strategy. Looks like Danny Briere has embraced the necessity of rebuilding. Must be nice. We'll talk more about the Philly side of things, uh, but up next, yeah, there was a Stanley Cup final game last <laughs> night that this massive three-way, three-way trade, deal three-way has trade. completely three-way blown trade. Off the, our radar. But uh, we will talk to Danny Webster of the Las Vegas Sun about Vegas going up 2-0 in the Cup final, uh, the performance last night, and uh, a look ahead to the series as it shifts to Florida. Get your text in, 650-650. It is Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Strantz here, live from the Kintec Studio. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center 
or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Lots of thoughts coming in. People are fired up that there's a three-way trade here to talk about before the Stanley Cup final is even over between Philly, Columbus, uh, and L.A. We will be joined on the phone line momentarily here by Danny Webster of the Las Vegas Sun. He covers the Golden Knights. We'll get his perspective uh, on what's going on in the Cup final right now. Uh, Rager texted in, Jamie has PTSD of teams getting ahead of themselves because of the Canucks. And, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe that's coloring my reaction to Columbus's side of things here a little bit. But uh, we can get more into that later in the show. Well, we got one text in asking me how the Heronic logic Mm -hmm. is different than Columbus and Provorov. And I want to get into that. We'll do that segment three. We will talk about that later. But right now, as mentioned, joining us on the line, he covers the Golden Knights for the Las Vegas Sun. He is Danny Webster. Danny, thanks very much for doing this. How are you? Hey, guys, doing well. How are you? We're doing very well, just uh, having fun, reacting to a trade in the NHL, and also uh, excited to talk about the Stanley Cup Final. Vegas with a 2-0 lead in the series as it shifts to Florida. In in your view, what's kind of been the decisive factor to help Vegas win both of those first two home games? Uh, Definitely their depth. They have 12 goals through two games here and nine different goal scorers. Right now, that is really the overlying factor of why this team is two wins away from winning the Stanley Cup. And, you know, there are a lot of different factors over the course of this playoff run that you could look at to say why Vegas is in this position. You can even throw in Aiden Hill and how terrific he's been in goal. But the depth right now, they are just rolling over Florida right now through two games. Now, obviously, things will change or things could change when uh, when the series shifts to Florida on Thursday. But right now, the way that that depth is rolling, the way those four lines are going, the three D pairs are playing really well. They're just suffocating Florida in every which way. And right now that's the reason why they've dominated these last two games. What has been the impact of the gap in quality between Aiden Hill and Sergei Borovsky? I I think it's just the fact that he's so confident. Aiden Hill is just this confident, calm presence in net and you know, we really didn't get a chance to see a lot of it during the regular season because he was obviously backing up Logan Thompson to begin the year. And when he did get his chances, it kind of looked like a little bit of a roller coaster where you weren't really sure what you were getting from him because he doesn't have that body of work, that resume that I that you would want to see from a goaltender. But he came in after game or during Game Three in Edmonton, and ever since then, something has clicked for him as far as the way that he's just composed in net. He doesn't let things rattle him. He gives up those two goals in game six in the first three minutes against Edmonton, and then he just shuts him down the rest of the way. And then in Dallas, he loses those two games, comes back and posts a shutout in the clincher in game six. It's just something about him that he's become really a cult hero in Vegas in, in such a short amount of time. There are, there are guys behind the Vegas cage yesterday wearing shirts that spell out hill they're playing the the king of the hill theme song every time he makes a save the 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 ovations get louder for him every time they introduce him in starting lineups just right now he's on another level as far as just being calm being composed making big saves at the right time and playing probably the best stretch of goaltending we've ever seen from a Golden Knights goaltender. I know the the bar is set really high, but given the situation, what he's done in these nine, 10 games that he's been in the playoffs is truly remarkable. In Vancouver, hockey fans are long suffering. 
And the Vegas Golden Knights have endured their own long, hard winter with one year of missing the playoffs. Um, how much credit does the fan base get for sticking with this team through the lean times? You know, I, I do think that they're, you know, when you look back at the way that year one went went down and everything that happened with the October 1st shooting and mm. just the way that the Golden Knights were able to bring this community, bring this fan base together, um, it, there, there's truly a deep love for this group. And, and, and obviously there's been a lot of turnover over the last number of years when you're talking about personnel, when you're talking about coaching you know, it, it. I think there is some annoyances with the fan base. Not, not in the sense that the Golden Knights should be in the playoffs every year and they should be contending for a Stanley Cup every year. It's just, what is it going to take for there to be some sort of stability? And I think after they fired Pete DeBoer last May, that that was starting to be really the the overall the call of what what is going to, what is it going to take for the Golden Knights to finally get some stability on the roster and the coaching staff and when is it going to take for the right moves for Kelly McCrimmon and George McPhee to ensure that this doesn't happen again. And they had to really hit it out of the ballpark and Bruce Cassidy falls into their lap almost a year ago to the day. And ever since then, you know, they, they go into the season mostly fully healthy they run through the Western Conference, even with injuries. They get 111 points, and now they're two wins away from the Stanley Cup. So I, I think more so the annoyances from the fan base are just looking for that stability in seeing that if you're going to trade these players, if you're going to fire these coaches, there better be an end result. And I think right now what we're seeing is the, the long, trenuous journey to finally finding that stability. And of course that comes with winning. And I think that's where we're at right now with the fans and obviously them sticking through with the process of that has definitely helped in a long way. Yeah. That, that point about stability is really interesting because I think Vegas has gotten a lot of credit and in my view, rightfully so for being so aggressive and going after the stars and, you know, not, not being satisfied and pushing for the ultimate goal. But as you say, eventually there does have to be payoff and it can't just be turnover and churn for the sake of churn. There has to be some sort of stability and, and feeling that you're building towards something. Was this season kind of higher stakes from that perspective than maybe we realized outside of Vegas, just that, that, that process of, constantly looking for the next coach or the next star player had to pay dividends this year in some way? I absolutely think so. I think that, that they, I, I truly believe Kelly McCrimmon and George McPhee went into this year knowing we have to get it right or something massive is going to happen. And I don't think they were truly concerned about maybe their job being on the line or whatnot, but I'm sure Bill Foley looked at it as you guys need to do something to ensure that this doesn't happen again, because I, I, I was still on the, I guess you can call it a minority that I don't think Pete DeBoer should have been fired given how the situation handled last year with missing more than 500 man games, falling short of the playoffs at game 81 with all the injuries that happened. I thought that if he got one more run with this group that I think it would have been nice to see it pan out, but you know, they go ahead and make the decision and you know, Bruce Cassidy was not on the radar uh, when it happened. And, you know, that's probably the best move that they could have made is like, all right, if we're going to move on for our third coach in six years, they're going to have to make a change here that's going to drastically alter the course of the franchise for the next three to five years. And it just turns out that Bruce Cassidy was right there. And if there's a guy right now that is 
anchoring that stability for what the Golden Knights want to be, it's definitely with what Bruce Cassidy has done this year and has done up to this point. In conversation with Danny Webster of the Las Vegas Sun here, talking Vegas Golden Knights in the Stanley Cup Final, Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Uh, Jack Eichel has been so impressive in this Stanley Cup playoffs, and then last night obviously takes the massive hit from Kachuk, goes to the room, comes back, sets up a goal. You know, he's been so impressed. We all know what he can do offensively, but his two-way game in the playoffs here and also just his composure and the way he's handled himself has been really, really impressive. And I thought last night was maybe just kind of the signature moment for the complete all-around playoff-style player he's really turned himself into this year. Yeah, I kind of I kind of said this uh, such a similar thing last night in my in my column that I feel like this is where the playoff legend grows for Jack Eichel. And we're starting to see that next evolution of him taking this spot as one of the best players in the world. Like I, like you said, we're, we've already known what he can do offensively, and that's what sets him apart. But what he's been able to do in buying into Cassidy's defensive system, being more involved in the defensive end, you know, more takeaways, be, winning those battles in the corners – you know, not go, not looking for the goals all the time, trying to set up his teammates, which has made Ivan Barbashev and Jonathan Marcheseau on his wings look incredible this postseason. He's done a lot of the little things that I don't think maybe we saw enough of in Buffalo just because of the situation that the team was in or just the narrative that was created around Jack for so many years in Buffalo until he got to Vegas. So he's had to absolutely alter the way he plays and I think it's also helped with the locker room that he's playing with, how they have former captains like Alex Petrangelo. You know, last year when he got to Vegas, there was still Max Pacioretty in the room. You know, you have Mark Stone. You know, you have Stanley Cup winners like Alec Martinez, and now you add in a guy like Phil Kessel. Even though he hasn't been playing, he's still been a great presence in the locker room. So he's he's getting the chance to not just become a better player at his age, but he's still learning more and more about what it takes to win. And the fact that, you know, he's got 22 points in in these playoffs and he might not even be the Conn Smythe winner, but the fact that he might be the leading scorer on a Stanley Cup final or a Stanley Cup winning team, that I think speaks volumes to where he is as a player and where he is as a person right now. And if not for Jack Eichel making those adjustments, I don't know if the Golden Knights are sitting here two wins away from winning the Stanley Cup. What has Ivan Barbashev and his physical assertiveness, the the touch down low, what has that meant to the Golden Knights? And is that the best trade deadline acquisition that we saw this season? Yeah, I think I think when you look back at the trade deadline, you know, I, I one of the things I posed to Kelly McCrimmon uh, when the trade was happening because. He wasn't scoring as much as he was last year. His, his point total was definitely down. And, you know, there was probably this talk of, did you want Barbashev to become a guy where he can put up that 60-point pace? And he wasn't really looking for that. He was looking for someone who could complement and play the same style of game in a, in a similar sense of the physical aspect that Mark Stone was going to bring when you knew that Stone wasn't going to be back until probably the playoffs if you were going to get him back at all. I, I think the he is a perfect complement for that line because his downhill speed definitely impacts the space in which Eichel and Marshall operate. And I think that the way that his physicality just brings 
kind of that wrecking ball mentality. I think he, he there was a string where he had maybe three hits in like 20 seconds in the first period, and he even drew a penalty. I think it was on Duclair that set up Marshall's power play goal, if I'm not mistaken. So he's definitely making those plays. And then when you get him in the offensive zone, when he's not using all that physicality, he's got a perfect passing touch. He's got a perfect sense from where he needs to be. And I think that was evident in uh, Alec Martinez's goal um, to make it 2 nothing, where you know, he wins the puck battle. He could have made the extra pass, the dart pass to Eichel, but he finds the opening and he finds Martinez and he, and he puts it in there. So he's that perfect complement of physicality as well as just a, a nice offensive touch that makes it perfect for Eichel and Marshall to operate uh, right alongside him. You know, there's been obviously so much turnover. We were talking about it, right? The the constant search for the, the big star players. There's been a lot of turnover just naturally as well from that first uh, expansion season. But I, I look at Jonathan Marchessault and Riley Smith and William Carlson as three of the, you know, the three main holdovers, also Braden McNabb and, and Carrier, I understand as well. But those three forwards and the role they've played consistently there and how they're all performing in these playoffs as well, what is it meant to have them, you know, there from day one, from the inaugural season and still playing such a significant role for this team? Uh, very huge. And when you look at the way that those guys have all kind of set their marks throughout the postseason, Riley Smith's been a little bit quiet, but he still plays an impactful 200-foot game. Jonathan Marshall was goalless through seven playoff games, and now in the last 12, he has 12. Like it, The way that he's come alive and has been a true uh, presence in terms of goal scoring has been has been an incredible story for this group. And then William Carlson, I thought he was the cons, my favorite going into the cup final, just because of the way he played defense on one end, shutting down the likes of Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and then Jason Robertson and Rope Hintz. And now you go into this final where if he is getting matched up against Matthew Kachuk or Sasha Barkov, whoever it may be, if he continues on this pace, he's going to be, you know, looking pretty good in that sense as well. Those three are always going to be, the pillars of this group and the fact that, you know, when they made the cup final in year one, I, they, were, they played really well. They were the, they, they were probably one of the best top lines in hockey. And then, you know, obviously they run into the buzzsaw against Washington, but the, the experience that they've had and the learning curve that they've gone through to get to this point. And William Carlson was looking like someone that they were probably trading away at some point because his production fell off uh, after year two. But now, under Bruce Cassidy, Bruce Cassidy has compared him to Patrice Bergeron in many times before. So to get that kind of comparison, as well as seeing him find that goal-scoring touch, it, it's just a collection, a perfect storm for Vegas of what they've gotten from their original guys uh, going into this cup final. And those three are definitely a huge part as to where they are right now. Who would you say is the Con Smythe leader two games into the series. Are you comfortable pricing I, it out for us? We like to price out things. <laughs> uh, it, it's just I flip-flop so much, and I think it's going to be a flip-flop every game until it's over. Like like I, had, like I mentioned, I had Carlson. If you had given me maybe as a plus 500 favorite, like going into the cup final, I would have thought Carlson just because of his 200-foot play. And then Jonathan Marchessault just continues to score goals and scores goals in a timely manner, and you're starting to wonder, okay, well, it's probably going to be him. And then I continue to throw around the question, 
are is 10 to 12 games going to be enough for Aiden Hill? Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if that kind of hinders him, but given the situation of when he came in, you know, came in cold, hadn't played in two months, and has gone on this incredible run, I, I look at that and I think if there's a slight favor right now, I would go Aiden Hill and then Jonathan Marshall. But I, but I just I flip flop every other game now, and I feel like if Game Three goes into weird territory where it's a high scoring affair and Aiden Hill gives up maybe a few goals and maybe he shouldn't and Marshall plays a big role then it'd probably go back to him so right now I think it's going to be Aiden Hill with a slight lead over Jonathan Marshall and then I think Jack Eichel is third but this is all pending change how Thursday goes the actual betting markets by the way have Marshall as the favorite now eight uh, anywhere between minus 105 to minus 120 Aiden Hill, plus 350 to plus 500, and Jack Eichel, anywhere from plus 400 to plus 600 in third. Mm. Jack Eichel feels like the most interesting long shot bet, given the odds, right? Sorry, I love to do gambling talk. Oh, no, that's fine. <laughs> I, 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 think that, I think that's a great number. I even think that, that number for Hill is really good. Yeah, if, he, yeah. if, he, if you can cash on that price now and he goes into Florida and wins both of those games – and gives up maybe two or three goals combined, or maybe two to four goals combined. That that's a that's a really good number to cash in on. Well, I, I'd add this: Aiden Hill has that buzz. Now, on some level, this makes me feel uncomfortable from a Vegas winning the series standpoint because uh, this is the sort of profile that I that I tend to think isn't sustainable, isn't something a team can sustain. Although with the way Vegas is scoring goals five on five, I, I challenge anyone to stop that team right now. But it feels like Aiden Hill's coming up with these outrageous saves right before Vegas keeps scoring these absolute backbreakers. Yeah. And it's and it happened like twice last night. It happened a couple times in uh, game one. Like there's something about his vibe, his energy right now that feels like it's beginning to get frustrating for the Panthers. Mm-hmm. You, you Do you get yeah. that in the building? Yeah, absolutely, and I, and I think the Martinez goal was a perfect example of that because yep. Wall goes to the box for hooking, and they have to kill off a, a power play that a Florida power play that was buzzing. I think they may be, may have had five shots on that power play. He'll turn them away, and then I think coming down as soon as that power play ended is when Martinez scored and made it two nothing. That 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 kind of that kind of resistance from the Golden Knights has been the constant theme throughout this playoff run and the the way that he's just so good and so calm and net and the way that he just makes these saves that you wouldn't expect him to do. It's a lot of credit to the Sean Burke, the goalie coach who has, who has worked with Aiden before. And um, he's been, he's done a really good job, which is all the goalies in general, but the way that Aiden has just kind of seized the moment has, has worked out really well for this group. And, you know, it, it, again, if it if it's not for him making a couple of clutch saves here and there, I, I can only imagine where this team is at right now. What, uh, what what's the kind of main vulnerability or risk that you see to Vegas going back to Florida up to nothing in this series? I think the, what's going to help Florida is they're going to dictate the matchups, and, and and I don't think usually I would think that's a major problem. I don't think it's as big of a problem as I think with Dallas because. Uh, Bruce Cassidy has not been shy about going to the wall line, the fourth line to start off against Kachuk. And I, and I think 
the way that Florida can dictate the matchups is going to be key here because if they find a mismatch and if they can get the fourth line on Kachuk, you know, for a little bit and get them buzzing, get them humming, I think that's going to give Florida some life. Now, I don't, I don't necessarily think that it's going to be all of that encompassing because I think Vegas, just the fact that they've been so good on the road, not just in the playoffs, but all year long, I think there was tied for second most points on the road in the regular season. And I think that they, they, well, they've lost twice on the road all postseason, maybe once I can't keep count, but they've been so good on the road this year that I feel like you can offset that. But if there is a slight glimmer for Florida, they're going to go back home with a chance to really even this series. And if they can dictate the matchups and they can get that home crowd into it and get Vegas slipping just a little bit, that's where I think Florida has an, has an opening, but this team has been so resolved and so calm away from home this year that it, that seems like a very tall task for any team, whether you're at home, to go ahead and do it against this Golden Knights team. Danny, really appreciate the time. Thanks for your insight. Enjoy the rest of the series. Of course, guys. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. That is Danny Webster covering the Vegas Golden Knights for the Las Vegas Sun, weighing and, in on all things Golden Knights. And willingly indulging my yes. obsession with long shot futures. Well, you have someone on from Vegas, right? So it's like, he was he was like, okay, I know how to do this. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I'm I know. going right to this. Last, yeah. um... By the way, March is so at not at, like, favored versus everyone else, right? That's the implied odds. You're yeah. not even getting a... Uh, even money return, I do not like that. Yeah, you're paying a VIG just to bet him? I don't like that at all. With with potentially I mean, you know, four or five games left in this series? Th- there's two things working against him. One is the narrative heft mm-hmm. of Jack Eichel, right? Like Jack Eichel taking that hit, coming back, setting up an assist, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, the fact that he's such a face of the league, the grace with which he handled you know, his answer, like, that was on me. I toe-picked. I'm lucky I did. That was a bad hit. I had my head down. Like there's that, something what was about the quote was winning hurts. It's like yeah. that's such a good quote. That's an such incredible quote. quote. Well, and and there's something about like the Jack Eichel as clutch winner guy, mm-hmm. tough playing through injury glow up that just like he also has more points than March. Speaking that, as and, a media and, member, that is completely irresistible. Let me give you my favorite long shot bet now that we're two games in the series. You ready? Right. You already picked Riley Smith, and then I know when we did that with Dem, I had I. His like odds I, are unchanged, so it's a flat well, bet. He has two goals, or at least when you made the pick, he had two goals in the playoffs. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, he's not winning. <laughs> You're not winning as a winger with two goals in the playoffs. He's added a third. <laughs> all right, um, okay. All right, ready? Sure. Matthew Kachuk is available anywhere from 10-1 to 1 to 13-1. to 1. That's pretty good. Bobrovsky's now out of it, right? You would think so. You, you'd expect if Florida's getting back into this mix, Kachuk's going to be heard from. Right, so you know, why not get the better odds of betting Kachuk as opposed to betting? If you think Florida has a chance to get back in the series, go with Kachuk. Bet Kachuk for Con Smythe, because yeah, I mean, you know what, twelve goals in two games pulled, and like Bobrovsky, these are not dangerous chances. Like he's getting beat from distance. Right, ah, uh, some of those chances last night, dude. The Bobrovsky apology stuff from last night is preposterous like he's down on his knees when martinez shoots it it's like that's a tough save when you're on your knees way too early like that was a bad save selection he took nothing away from howden 
on the on the fourth goal, the one that chased him. That's mm-hmm. Howden's unchecked, coming in a billion miles a minute. Yeah, but it's like he took neither the forehand or the backhand away from him. What was the third goal? Was which was the that third was goal? the one where uh, Wah walked out in front of the net. That right, and it oh yeah, it went so, in off the post, and right, but Rossi looked right. like he didn't see it. At it all. was short side. Yeah, he doesn't even react till it's behind him, and the Marcheseau shot screened, but he doesn't even react. He doesn't see it. He didn't saw neither of those shots until they were behind him, man. I, I thought the Bobrovsky apology tour last night was preposterous, and you know me. I love to defend goalies. <laughs> um, all right. We have the official final details of the uh, three-way trade between Columbus, Philly, and L.A. We will get you to those. Uh, talk about Philly's perspective on this, which I think is really interesting. More on how it relates to the Canucks as well. What it could set up. Uh, for later in the offseason, but we'll continue to react here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Vancouver sports fans. Halford and Bruff in the morning. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650 with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. We have been monitoring it and reacting to it all day. Uh, it's official, a three-way deal, really interesting three-way deal, kind of kicking off uh, the NHL offseason while the Stanley Cup final continues. But three-way deal between Columbus, Philly, and L.A., courtesy of uh, our guy Frank Saravelli's Twitter feed. Here are the official trade details. Columbus acquires Ivan Provorov and former Canucks draft pick Kevin Connaughton involved in this deal. Uh, The Flyers get number 22 this year. So that's originally the LA Kings first uh, first round pick, which comes from Columbus. They get the Kings 2024 second round pick. So that's next year. They get a conditional Columbus second round pick, which will be either in 2024 or 2025. And my understanding there is that it's going to be Columbus's choice uh, ahead of the 2024 draft. They also get Cal Peterson, Sean Walker, and right-handed defense prospect Helge Granz from L.A. The Kings, all they end up with is a 30, 30% retention on Ivan Provorov's deal, though, of course, they also clear uh, you know, anywhere from like 4.8 to 5.8 salary cap space for this year, depending on how you categorize it with, uh, with Cal Peterson's hit and the ability for to bury it in the minors. So there you go. That's the whole deal. And I did enjoy that in the release uh, that Columbus put out announcing it, just the way they structured the three-way deal. They said that uh, Columbus acquires Kevin Connaughton from Philadelphia in exchange for a 2023 first-round pick and a conditional second-round pick in either a 2024 or 2025 NHL draft. So there you go. Kevin Connaughton traded for a first and a second today uh, in the NHL. So those are the details. We've gone over it from... Uh, the L.A. perspective, they're clearing salary cap space 
to make room to sign Vladislav Gavrikov, who's a pending free agent. We've gone over it from the Columbus perspective, and I will say the fact that it's not pick 34 this year that they were giving up as the second-round pick, it's conditional in the future, does make me like it more from Columbus's perspective. And we haven't really touched on this from the Flyers' point of view. And we are all we were all expecting, I think, a a different type of Flyers MO, a different different type of Flyers approach with Danny Briere as the new general manager. This is his first big move, and I think it says a lot of really positive things about Danny Briere because they give up Provorov, but because they're also willing to take back bad money. They got a really nice, uh, a really nice haul in the form of a first, a first round pick, two second round picks, and a legit prospect at a premium position in Helge Grons. Like that is a really, to me, that's a really positive, good start to a rebuilding process in Philadelphia. So the vision that is there, the vision is there. I think the devil's in the details a little bit here, and that's where Daniel Briere's work, I think, should be open to measured criticism as opposed to just like giddy mm. adulation for the fact that he's finally charted uh, a clear and vibrant direction for a Philadelphia Flyers franchise that's been screaming for it for three, four years. Like, he's nailed the big picture direction. And uh, I'll let you say your piece, but that goes so far. So you know far. What I no, mean? no, no, no. And, yeah. that's, and that's like, I want to say, that's the most important thing. Yeah. Right? Like, Experience is no replacement for having the right big picture strategy. And Daniel Briere has showed Philadelphia Flyers fans in the entire league that he's got the right big picture strategy for this franchise. Full credit to him. But if this were a Canucks trade, this is what I'd say. What options did LA have? Okay. And the devil with here Peterson. and the devil here is in the with both. The devil here is in the details. Sean Walker's on a backloaded deal. He's due like almost $3.5 million despite mm -hmm. a $2.65 million cap hit. So the usual suspects in the cap dump accumulation game, Arizona, aren't likely to be able to eat that. Cal Peterson has a $4 million signing bonus due to him in a few weeks. How many big market, well-moneyed franchises are going into pull-the-shoot rebuilding mode that could have possibly eaten these deals. That would have had the appetite to do it. Daniel yeah. Briere was the only shop in town given a completely unique cacophony of contract problems that Rob Blake was dealing with. At the end of the day, I'm not sure, despite the fact that a second in Helge Grands is a pretty big price, like... The Ottawa Senators paid a second and a fourth to get off of Zaitsev at $4 million, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it's roughly the same amount cleared, um, like, but LA's, the toxicity of the LA assets from a salary perspective were more unique. Like, I, I think Rob Blake got off a little bit light here relative to how difficult these contracts should have been to move. And so I do think while Briere nailed this big picture strategy wise, I, I do think the seams show a little bit in terms of the lack of experience in that Philadelphia Flyers front office. I, I think they should have been able to extract or make this slightly more painful for L.A. 
Yeah, I just think we're talking, like, it's very marginal for me. I see what you're saying, but I mean, what yeah, are the like, devil's in the details. Now, and again, the flip side of me saying I like it more from Columbus's perspective because it's not pick 34, right? Like, if, if Philly was getting pick 34 in this year's draft, I think then it's it kind of clears up what you're talking about, right? The marginal value is significantly No, 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 but, but it's specifically L.A. L.A. Right, specifically, but you have to look at it from Philly's Columbus, perspective as what, you, what they're getting back. Columbus, I think, paid a pretty high price. Like, I would say Columbus paid a fair price to get Provorov with retention. But my point I think, is... I think L.A. got off a little easy, and I think it's Philadelphia was the was the was almost the only shop that could have solved their problems. Like, no one else was coming and going to be willing to, like, give Cal Peterson a shot. Now, here's the one part... No, no, of- but all I'm saying is you can't just... You, like, the the the... The mark for whether or not this was a good trade for Philly isn't like, did they hold LA's feet to the fire, right? It's the total value of what they got coming back. So even if you change what they were coming back, what they were getting back from Columbus, like that still improves the outlook on the trade for me. You know what sure, I'm saying? Sure. Like I, I get what you're saying, but if, if they had got this year's second round pick out of Columbus, then you're looking at the total value, I think, being high enough to justify them taking on those contracts. Yeah, I'm just surprised they weren't able to get more from LA. Like, I'm yeah, surprised they weren't able to get, you know, Pittsburgh's third or like, I feel like there should have been more pain involved in this deal for Los Angeles. And it's not like at Los Angeles is asset poor, right? Whether it's like a Sam- Samuel Fajimo, like even just a flyer type young guy, mm-hmm. right? I-, I feel like that would have been closer to fair value given how few options LA would have had if Philadelphia hadn't come correct, hadn't come as like Johnny on the spot. Like Daniel Briere served the Kings as Johnny on the spot here. I don't know that there was another possible solution to Rob Blake's cap headaches this summer. And and I don't know that he got a hundred percent value for that. I think he got eighty five percent value sure. for that. So still a win for Daniel Briere. A definite win for Daniel Briere's vision and strategy. I think if you're a Flyers fan, you should be feeling confident today in a way you probably haven't in five years so that's good I'm, I'm not you know raking this deal by any no, means no, no, from no, Philly's no. perspective because that's the thing but like, I think it's worth I think it's worth noting like you know having hired Jones and Briere to their top hockey operations jobs although you know we, we talked about this on the show it's very much Briere's show um you know I I I, I wonder if the experience or the lack of experience showed a little bit in terms of the asset price extracted. The thing I really like about it from Philly's perspective is, okay, you have Ivan Provorov, who's not a zero-value asset, but he's off his peak value, right? Mm. And not necessarily the same market uh, that you would have expected for him a couple of years ago around the NHL. And rather than simply, you know, okay, well, we'll just have we'll just have to get him for less than premium value or, you know, we'll, uh, we'll retain a little bit and maybe that'll help juice the value. They basically did a cap-neutral trade here and the result is they use their financial muscle and their ability to pay those contracts. And they ended up getting like if it was just, you know, they ended up getting a really good return here, a really, really nice boost to your rebuild. Right. It wasn't just about, OK, we have to move Ivan Provorov. So his values down, but we'll take whatever we can get. It was let's get creative. And how can we maximize what we're getting back in this deal? Now, as you say, maybe you think they could have squeezed a little bit more even out of LA, but just the willingness to be the be creative and the willingness to use your financial muscle as a rebuilding tool, right? Hey, we we can pay that that signing bonus to Cal Peterson because we're owned by Comcast. We're owned by a giant corporation. We can we can afford to foot that bill. That's smart. And I think a willingness to do that and that creativity in solving the problem, as you say, that speaks very very well to what Danny Briere has planned. 
uh, for for this team going forward. We got a text in from Reg who says, uh, as a lifelong Philadelphia Flyers fan, I was born in 1972, couldn't enjoy the only Stanley Cups they won. There's been a lot of downs in this organization, very comparable to the Canucks. God, I hope you were right that this signifies a massive rebuild. Finally, that is from Reg, who's very excited about this move from Danny Briere. Uh, and then, as you say, there's rumors out there and rumblings now that Carter Hart could be on the move as well. So this could turn out to be a really fascinating day for Philadelphia. Plus, we'll see what Gavrikov comes in at if, in fact, he ends up being extended by L.A. today. And it mm-hmm. certainly looks like they have made this trade for the for the purpose of locking him up. And he was fabulous for them in the playoffs. Um, OK, I want to get to something that people are getting on me in on in both my Twitter mentions and in the inbox, which uh-huh. is. How can you praise the Provorov acquisition for Columbus, but not the Heronic acquisition for Vancouver? And it comes down to two sort of factors. One is you have to look at the whole picture, right? It, the Heronic deal, like I like Heronic as a player more than I like Provorov as a player, right? But the holistic view needs to be accounted for, right? What was the criticism of the Heronic deal the day it happened, other than me facepalming on air? (laughs) It was maybe the right player, but the Mm -hmm. wrong time for this organization. Mm -hmm. Now, the key to this is to look at the whole move, not just the goal. Like, not just the the pointy end of the spear, but the entire instrument, right? The Columbus Blue Jackets had an expiring backup goaltender in Jonas Corposalo and an expiring defenseman in Vladislav Gavrikov. They turned that into a first and a third, okay? They took that first and a second, a conditional second in Mm -hmm. either 2024 or 2025, and have acquired Provorov with $2 million of his salary retained so that he's 4.75. They've effectively replaced Gavrikov, right, the piece they traded, for a trade down from the second round to the third round. Right. And by the way, that second is 2023. So they've done it in a stronger draft. So which which also further mitigates the value. The way to look at it is Yarmo Kekalainen has done a rent-a-player approach. Okay. Coming out of a rebuild that has been mostly disciplined until last summer when they signed Good Branson and Goudreau and traded Oliver Bjorkstrand. The latter deal, uh, obviously, not a good one. Um, the Blue Jackets have accumulated a ton of assets, right? They're going to get one of Fantilli or Carlson. They've got Matejchuk. They've got Yurichik. They've got a ton of really interesting young defensemen already on the roster between Bockvist, between Andrew Peak, uh, Bean. Um, Yurichik obviously was dominant in the American League, like looks like mm-hmm. one of the top five prospects in this sport. Matejchuk was great again in the dub. So you've got to fit those guys in. And remember, teams use like eight, nine defensemen a year. Provorov gives you some options, and we went over them, right? You could play him with Blankenberg. You can play him with Bockvist. You can play him with Yurichik. Um, now you're going to be able to attach like a veteran guy. You know, Matejchuk comes up when Matejchuk's ready to turn pro. You know, third pair of minutes with Eric Goodbranson, not a terrible landing spot for a young puck-moving lefty defenseman, right? If Yurichik plays with Wierenski and is sort of the shutdown guy, like that's a good that's a good spot. Provorov can help insulate a young guy too. I think they've done a, an interesting job by assembling sort of like a critical mass of young talent coming through, and Provorov fits within that. More than that, they paid a totally reasonable price to take two years of cost certainty on a guy who can be flipped, who can be flipped if this doesn't work, and if it does, maybe extended. I, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Either way, I think they've 
done a really smart job replacing a guy while actually saving overall cap dollars. The gap with the Canucks is the move itself, right? What's the genesis of the assets that they traded for Hironic, right? The Horvat the, deal. The, the Horvat deal. So you trade Bo Horvat, and the full return is Horvat and a second-round pick for Ratu, Beauvillier, and Hironic, right? And Hironic, as a like, first of all, they're they're they match each other in price for one year, but then Hironic expires and is going to be massively expensive, and he's up at the same time as your best player, right? A player whose third contract could be massive, depending on how this plays out with the cap going up, with the timing of when exactly Pedersen ends up signing his extension. In, the Canucks haven't been rebuilding. They don't have this critical mass of, of young talent coming. They're not adding an elite piece who's going to be NHL ready on day one out of this draft class like Columbus is. They're instead counting on Heronic to be a first pair caliber contributor for them. And by the way, if he gets hurt, if his play regresses, like there's no, nothing else there, right? Like Columbus is going to be able to have this, you know, eight, eight defensemen, three or four of them, like pretty reliable vets, a bunch of young guys coming up. And so as players vacillate in terms of their quality, there's going to be depth there. If Provorov is what he's been since 2019-20, which is, you know, a, a 3-4 caliber defenseman, th this doesn't kill them, particularly when he makes 4.75. If Heronik's not a star for Vancouver, what's the blue line look like? Like, Vancouver doesn't have the optionality that Columbus does because they haven't drafted with the same a level of discipline or accumulated with the same level of discipline. So, for me, they're very different bets because of the whole picture. Like, very different bets because of the whole picture. Even if the price superficially looks similar, um, you know, Vancouver, in their approach, neutered their cap space where Columbus actually preserved it. And when you look at where these two teams are, yeah, sure, they're both trying to accelerate out of rebuilds. It's just that Columbus has extracted real value out of their down seasons, and Vancouver has not. And that changes the way that I value a team trading draft capital for players now. Yeah, I think your strongest argument is the last one, right? Where you have when you have that accumulation, it hurts less to trade from from it. Totally, you're trading from surplus. But I, the thing is, like, I get what you're saying about okay, look at it starting with the Gavrikov and Corpusalo trade, and then you think, okay, well, it would have been more expensive to sign Gavrikov. But the thing is, once you make the first leg of that deal as Columbus, and once you have the extra first round pick you are actually allowed to just stop there. You know what I mean? So I actually think you can separate it into different moves. Like, that was value up, and now they've got back to, like, value neutral or whatever, right? As an, as an example, they could have stopped. You're right. If you go back a, a move, it doesn't look I, – I like it more. But, again, there was nothing forcing them to make that move. And I still look at it as, like, what's the, the ultimate upside for this move is not high enough – for me, from Columbus's perspective, to justify giving up a first-round pick see, in this draft. See, I, that's, that's ultimately where I come down on. Like, for, I'm just trying to picture, like, best-case scenario for them with Ivan Provorov. Well, what he, is it? He rebounds and is a top-pair defenseman. Okay, and that, but, like, and then what? They're fighting for the eighth seed? I mean, and then they have to pay him a huge number in two, in two years? Well, or he's a... Or he's I'd a, rather have the first-round pick. Or he's an asset. I mean... They clearly want to try and win. They're clear, clearly trying to accelerate out of their rebuild. I think the value of it is we get a guy who we see as a top pair caliber defenseman who's who's struggled in a really bad situation 
over the past couple of years. We think he's more than that. We think we can rebuild him, right? And if we do that, we've rebuilt his value to where we can easily recoup the assets spent to acquire him. Or he helps our team and we're good, and he's there to insulate and tutor this uh, wave of young defense. I mean, come on. Like, what do you mean? That's- but you don't. You're you're paying a first round pick to get a guy to tutor your young defenseman when you already have Zach Wierenski on the team. If he's if he's potentially a top pair caliber guy, you already have Zach Wierenski. Yeah, but Zach like Wierenski's you, Zach Wierenski. I mean, first of all, I'm I'm like Zach Wierenski's biggest fan. I think he's sick. Mm-hmm. But Provorov is bigger, meaner, more defensive. Sure, but oriented. it's not like you don't have good like a good defenseman on the team. To no, help but they're these different guys. profiles, and and it's not like you need one good defenseman. That's the that's the problem with the Horonic approach. No, no, no! I'm not saying you That's only need one good defenseman. I'm saying, see? but I'm saying you don't give up a first round pick and part. Like if part of your, well, he's going to help bring our young guys along. Like, come on! But a first That's not round worth a pick, first round pick, a first round pick means an awful lot less when you're getting Leo Carlson or Adam Fantilli in a couple weeks. I get that. I 100 percent get you know, that. Like, but still, I like, would rather try to build to like add to the critical mass of young talent you're talking about. Where again, I don't think that. I don't think that Provorov fits that, right? And so, like, even if he plays really, really well for them in two years or over the next two years, they're not going to be a contender in those next two years. And then, again, so you trade him and, like, you've well, – even if you get a first-round pick back, I, it's two years see, down the road from the first-round pick you could have got this year. See, I think they've got the profile now of a team that can level up really fast, though. Right? I mean, they've had really bad goaltending the last two years. We'll see. We'll see. Like, it's going to take some work to fix that. Um, but – when you look at that, the names on that defense core, right? When you look at, you know, you go eight guys deep before you get to Juracek and Blankenberg. Like, come on, man. If if Juracek or Blankenberg were in Vancouver, we'd be like penciling them into the top six. Yeah, no, no question I, about it. I like those players. They're of course awesome. They do. Yeah, but I'm I'm just saying, like, they now have this group that goes, you know, Provorov, Peak, uh, Wierenski. I mean, that's a really good start. And then up front too, like. It's not like there's no talent there. It's not like there's no ability to level up really quickly between, you know, Goudreau and Lion A, Kent Johnson, Sillinger, you know, Boone Jenner, plus you throw Fantilli or, or Carlson into it. Like, I, I just think with you, when you look at where Vancouver's situated, and, and people are just crushing this deal because, A, they don't like Provorov for his truly loathsome stance on Pride Nights, mm-hmm. and, B, they look at Provorov's uh, underlying numbers – uh, you know, underlying numbers, which even its biggest proponents, myself included, would say, hey, you know, the one thing we're really not very good at capturing is defensive impact. And that's Provorov's game. Like, this is a smart, savvy, um, defensive defender, a super rare profile. He's 26. He's six foot three. He can move the puck. Like, he's got huge scoring totals in his in his career, right? It's not like he's a one-trick pony. People are talking about this guy like he's a second-pair defenseman, as opposed to, like, a very well-established top pair guy who's had you know 40 point seasons 17 goal seasons in his past and and still has game and his values at like an extremely low ebb right like if Provorov bounces back at the age of 26 having not had significant injuries in his past he's the type of asset who you literally cannot acquire like how do you get stud top pair six foot two 200 pound defenseman what do we always say about that player type? They're never available. You gotta, you gotta take some swings, man. Th- like the value, the value of taking a credible swing on a guy like this is through the roof, in my view. But again, even if he hits, what's that next contract look like then? Right? 
Like, that's the thing. Yeah, but he can also become assets. Like, you, you, you don't even have to... Well, okay, but... You have like, optionality. You do, but again, I mean... It's not like, you're, he's, you're, it's not like he's a then restricted you're just, player. Then you're just kicking the can down the road. But it's though. not like he's a restricted player who comes up at the same time as Pedersen. You see the distinction there? Yeah, look, I'm not... This isn't a defense of the Hronik trade. I'm just saying, I don't like the I don't like the, pro, the but you can, you can understand, though, why you can have a different take on the two trades despite the cost. Uh, well, yeah, but I don't think the fact that they can potentially trade him down the road is the strongest argument. As I said, I think your strongest no, argument, it's, it's, if I'm evaluating it, is that they have more of these young assets they can afford to part with. Yeah, for sure. I would still rather have, if, you, if we just come right down to it, I would rather have 22. If I'm in Columbus's position and as far away from competing as they are, and yes, they can take steps, but they, they've got a long, long way to go so, to be a true contender. If I'm as far away from contending as they are, I'd rather have 22 and the extra second round pick. So let me reframe That's it. it. Let me reframe it really quickly to use a classic bit of Canucks talk jargon. Sure. Before we go to break. Okay. okay. What's my favorite type of bet? What? It's a floor bet. <laughs> okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. What's the floor of a heronic deal not working out from a Canucks perspective? They sign him to a crippling long-term contract. After missing the playoffs next year because sure. his defense doesn't hold right like his defensive gains don't okay hold. No, finish, finish and you've lost yeah, yeah, yeah. and you've lost a first and a second in mm -hmm, a loaded draft mm -hmm. when you have no prospects coming okay what's the floor for columbus here the team continues to struggle and provorov continues to play the way he has like he doesn't rebound yep. so he's playing like a three four two-way defenseman and and he's kind of meh in 18 months you take that three four defenseman who's going to be 28 and on an expiring deal, and you retain half and sell them at the deadline for 2.37. And what do you get back? At least a first and probably a second. And again, you've and, and, and you've wasted two years that you could have had that first round pick in your system. Developing, developing along with the guys that you that you just drafted, yeah, right? But you're also going to need draft weaponry when you're good. You also need assets when you're good. Like there's no there's no inherent benefit. To having that first now versus but if you're in saying, two years. Like, hey, don't worry. We'll just be back where we were in two years. Like, that sucks. This team should be – they, they should well, they have an sure. opportunity to build. But but that's the floor bet. The floor bet is this does not harm you, and the upside bet is you've acquired one of those impossible-to-acquire pieces if he can find his game again in your system. I just don't see the upside. I like that. I don't see the upside to give it up. The and Canucks, I'm not, it's not a defense of the Heronic trade, the, the Heronic but I deal, do not like this one for the, Columbus. The Heronic deal has real downside. This one, even the downside case for it, is fine. Like, it doesn't hurt Columbus if this if this goes terribly badly. And I like those types of bets, especially when the upside is a player who you literally cannot find. Uh, we will continue to break down reaction to this trade, uh, look ahead to some of the other dominoes that could fall around the league, maybe talk some buyout candidates as well. Keep getting your thoughts in 650. 650, it is Canucks talk here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. It is Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drantz here live from the Kintec Studio. 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. 
come uh, and to continue to react to the big three-way trade in the NHL today. Uh, Joining us on the phone line now, he covers the Columbus Blue Jackets for The Athletic. He is Aaron Portsline. Aaron, thanks very much for making time for us on uh, short notice here. How are you? I'm doing all right, boys. How are you doing? We're doing very well. We are thrilled, absolutely thrilled, to have a, a really fascinating trade uh, to talk about here today on a, you know first of a couple of days off in the Stanley Cup Finals. So w- what's right. your instant, immediate reaction of this deal from the Columbus Blue Jackets' perspective? Well, it takes Babcock off the uh, <laughs> uh, heat, the grill for a day. Um, yeah, it's a little surprising because I don't think you expect trades during the Stanley Cup Final. Uh, certainly once the final's done and the draft draws near, you know, that's sort of a big time window for teams to be making moves. So um, in that, in that sense, it was a, a little bit of a surprise, the timing of it. The fact that the Blue Jackets moved to number 22 overall, not a surprise at all. I mean, they, <laughs> they offered that trade has been on the table um, or that pick, sorry, has been on the table almost from the moment they acquired it from LA. If you remember, they tried to flip that very pick uh, to Arizona in an attempt to get Chikrin, uh before he ended up going to Ottawa. Uh, and Yarmo Kekleinen is not held back at all in acknowledging that he wanted to use that pick for immediate help. So Provorov now gives them a really good one-two punch on the left side. Their left, their top four was was absolutely depleted once the Gavrikov trade was made. It was de- depleted before that. And that just further gutted it. Uh, to get Provorov back, now you've got Wierenski on the top pair or Provorov on the second pair or vice versa, depending upon how they play. Probably going to have a lot of guys looking forward to playing on the right side of either one of those guys. Um, still need some help back there, but this solidifies them and really feels still a void that they've had since the Gavrikov trade was made at the trade deadline. Porty. How do you make sense of what feels now like something of a messy vision from Yarmo Kekalainen? I mean, you know, it's been a pretty disciplined rebuild for a couple of years and then kind of seemed like they tried to accelerate a bit last offseason with the Gaudreau and Goodbranson deals and the Bjorkstrand trade and obviously didn't go their way, but they're going to get a great player out of it. Now you hire Babcock. You, you bring in Provorov at the, at the expense of futures. Um, how does this fit into a hole? Is there real expectations on this team now for this season? Well, it's like they say about fighting. Everybody has a plan until you get hit in the mouth, right? I think rebuilding sounds really easy until you hit the, the spot that the Blue Jackets hit this year. Like mm. the first year, it was fine. They were hovering around 500, and all the young kids were looking like, like with they had very bright promises, and you're feeling good about it. This last year was just a complete like free fall in so many ways. The injuries, the performances, uh, like who the hell's the goalie? Like you know, so many question marks pop up, and it's just it's hard to find traction and stop the the uh, stop getting punched in the face. It feels like in a season like that. I don't think they're as far away as maybe you, you would think they are. If, if, if they even have a reasonable amount of injuries this year, rather than an ungodly amount of injuries, they should be 
10, 15% better. They're extremely young. I still think they have significant moves that they need to make on the back end. I still think they're at least a veteran defenseman away. Their center position is better now with Dmitry Voronkov coming over, but it's better in terms of having options in the bottom six. Mm. It's still incredibly unproven in the top six. It's a hard thing to hide over 82 games. Uh, Boone Jenner's playing number one center probably again next year. The lottery didn't go their way again. Uh, they're going to get a hell of a player, but probably not immediate help there. So it's, it's pretty choppy right now. I think Yarmo's plan is still decipherable. I think Provorov just replaces Gavrikov, but they're still back to, you know, what the big thing with last year with so many injuries in the back end is you just lose the season of development for all of the young guys. You mm. just don't get a chance to even look at them. Um, so the questions you had last year at this time are the questions you have this year at this time. And do you just cut cord with those guys and move on to veteran players? I think there's a temptation for them to do that. I think the hiring of Babcock suggests they're probably not going to wait and be as patient as you thought they may have been a year or so ago. They're trying to hasten this process up a little bit. and That can be risky and can have long-term consequences as well. Aaron, before you joined us, I've sort of been describing this as a, like a rent-a-player transaction from a Columbus perspective, where you send out Gavrikov, right, and then you, yeah. and then you basically pay a second-round pick for a third round pick trade down to, you know, take on Provorov, who's, you know, in my view, probably a higher upside player than Gavrikov. He's actually younger than Gavrikov. And, right. you know, at, at a price that looks, based on reports, like it'll end up being, you know, a million and a half or more cheaper than what Gavrikov will cost. And and my point has been, if if this doesn't work out, you know, you retain half in 18 months – you're telling me you're not getting a first and a second for, for Provorov at 2.3, even if he doesn't bounce back and stays as like a second-pair caliber contributor? I, I For me, yeah. anyway, there's just no downside to taking this look. But do you think they're thinking about it this way? Well, here's one thing I would offer. They they have a prospect or a messy business because you can get into a lot of trouble expecting them to do much. But they've thrown three first-round draft picks at defense in the last two drafts. And they're waiting on these guys. Uh, David Yurchek will probably be here this year. Denton Matejchuk will probably be here next year. Corson Kuhlman's probably a couple few years away. They need a bridge to these guys. Now, if they build a, if, if Provorov is a two-year bridge and they're not ready, well, you've got your own new set of issues, but perhaps then you re-sign Provorov. If in a year, Yurchek looks like the real deal, and Matejchuk's ready to go in the NHL, like you said, maybe you can flip Provorov again. I think the two-year window for them is really enticing as well as the player. The issue with Gavrikov is he's not sticking around for a two-year deal, and I don't blame him. He he wanted more from Columbus if he's, if he's mm. going to stay, and they don't want they didn't want to build a six seven-year bridge. Uh, and have all of these young defensemen knocking on the door in a year or two. So flipping out Provorov or Gavrikov in that, in that respect makes a lot of sense. 
So, Aaron, these are two pretty aggressive moves. I think it's fair to say, obviously, with the you know reported hiring of Mike Babcock and now the trade moving yeah. the first round pick for Ivan Provorov. Yarmo Kekalainen has been the in that spot, the general manager of the Blue Jackets for a while. And, you know, obviously there's some big highs on his resume, winning the the first playoff series in the team's history. It's also been three years out of the playoffs towards the bottom of the standings now. How much pressure do you think Yarmo Kekalainen is is feeling going into this season? And is that something that's driving these moves we're seeing? Well, to me, the, the, the Babcock hiring does certainly have elements of desperation in it. I'm not sure... I'm not sure that is a move like that is seen as being worth the risk if they're not at a point now where they feel like they have to, have to, have to, this has to happen now. And so they're willing to take some chances with this. That's what it feels like a bit to me. I think they know there's baggage there and they know that, and this is going to be a tough stretch for them because they've got three weeks three weeks where they can say nothing about this. He's still under contract with Toronto. Mike Babcock can't even attempt to humanize himself to the fan base. He has become fairly or unfairly uh, an ogre, uh, a a mean bully. That's how people see him now. And it reminds me of the hiring of Hitchcock and Tortorella a bit. There were so many people opposed to both hirings, but once you heard them talk, it seemed like the fans felt better about it almost instantly. Philadelphia was the same way with Tortorella. This guy's a rave, is a lunatic. I'm talking to two guys in Vancouver here. I should be careful. But they're they're like, this guy's insane. And then he talks and they're like, that was actually pretty interesting. Maybe this is going to be okay. And Babcock can't do that until July 1st. Uh, again, I don't feel sorry for him. Yeah, I don't know that he can do it, though. Like, Torts, torts is well, we'll gruff but try. thoughtful, right? Babcock is who he is who he like Absolutely. is how he presents. Absolutely, he can present no other side of himself until July first. Mm-hmm. Whether he has that to present or not, he can't even try to. So he can't put the coach's hat on and talk about things until then. It just has to sit there like this. And I'll repeat myself: I do not feel sorry for him. He created the situation, <laughs> but it is what it is. Um, so there's there's all of that, and it does feel like desperation, a bit of it, absolutely, yes. What other moves or what other priorities do you think Columbus will have? I mean, you know, <laughs> these don't feel like moves where you stop here and say, okay, we'll be uh, conservative for the rest of the offseason. It feels like there might be right. more coming uh, for the rest of the summer. What, what else is high on their to-do list? Well, I, I don't know if they can get this done or not. It's, it's, it's only been a need for about, 19 of their 23 seasons uh, <laughs> fixing center ice. So, you know, he, he, they're waiting on Sillinger to take a step. He looks so promising as a rookie, really backpedaled last year. Um, you know, Roslovic, I think they've reached a point now where he is who he is. I won't be surprised if he's moved this summer at all. I think he's an, uh, a trade candidate for sure. Um you know, what can they do to fix the top part of their center ice position? They'd hope that it happens through the draft, and it may eventually, but Carlson, if they land Carlson at three, if it's Will Smith at three, both of those players are not immediate help. So, again, we're, you're faced with the, the desire to be better today, now, but probably the wise decision is to take your time and let Carlson grow into that or Smith grow into that. But if they can reshape that center ice position, I'm not sure how the hell that could happen. 
but they would love to do it if they could. The Canucks also would like to reshape their center ice position. You, you see any potential fits between the Canucks, maybe with a package involving this is a this is a show in joke. Roslovic and Peak. Uh, what's coming back to Columbus? Because both of those names would be available. Yes. <laughs> um, we had a long running joke where I was saying that's my nightmare package for Bo Horvat. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah, I mean that's what it is. And I, I the thing with the with the Blue Jackets, they've got a billion wingers. They have scads of defensemen, but like. They have like seven, five, six defensemen, mm-hmm. and that's a hard way, a hard spot to make deals out of, right? I mean, oh yeah, we know. Exactly <laughs> a, a market for that, <laughs> so you're kind of stuck. Yeah, you're that you're singing our favorite tune. <laughs> yeah, lot, lots of wingers, and it's hard to move them. We're very, very familiar with that uh, here in in Vancouver. <laughs> Uh, Aaron, I, we really appreciate it. I know I'm, I'm sure it's going to be a busy day for you breaking down this trade. So thanks for hopping on with us. Uh, w- hopefully we'll talk soon. Yeah, pleasure is mine. Thanks, guys. Hey, thanks, Portsline. He's the best, by the way. That is uh, Aaron Portsline, my uh, favorite your colleague at The Athletic, uh, yeah. covering the Columbus Blue Jackets. and Hosted me for Thanksgiving dinner. One of those guys who's really like synonymous with the team because he's covered it so long and so well, and he's just so, so incredibly locked in on it that, yeah, it's just... He, he's, one of the, he's one of the deans of, of beat writers in this business and, you know, big fantasy football guy. <laughs> <laughs> Him and his wife host a mean Thanksgiving party. Legitimately, like... You know, top five favorite people that, that I work with, and not just at the athletic, but like in this business across of it. Uh, I'm not going to ask where I rank there. Um, this one comes in 650, <laughs> 650. Well, you've never had me are over you, for Thanksgiving. You, that's true. I have not. Um, we'll we'll go through maybe your tiers <laughs> of you, colleagues you, at some point. If you, <laughs> if colleagues' you pl- tiers. If you ply me with a very moist bird, maybe oh, we'll. Boy. Oh, good <laughs> lord! Why did you say such a thing? What on earth? That was unexpected. <laughs> That was more upsetting than any of your hockey takes. <laughs> Fly you with a moist bird. <laughs> is that what is wrong with you? I think man? I think I've just been struggling all show trying to avoid making three way jokes. But <laughs> please move on. That uh, that the moist bird came oh. out. Oh boy, oh boy. Uh, by the way, this person texted in earlier. Uh, do you guys keep arguing when we go to commercial, or do you just start talking about betting and baseball? It's usually the latter. <laughs> it's usually the latter. I well, like, say. well, like, I'll like stop yelling, and you'll be like, uh, "Let's come back to Canucks talk." Like, <laughs> I don't. I hope I don't. And then, uh, and then immediately, I'm like, you know, what do you think of yeah. Patrick Mahomes? Yeah, no. It's it's usually it's not it's not uh, baseball. It's like. Whatever absolute degenerate like bench player <laughs> you're taking to hit three and a half three pointers in the NBA game, that's usually what it is. Yeah, or or extremely esoteric fantasy football talk. Yes. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Pretty much. Um, it, right. might, it might be baseball if the Blue Jays weren't demoralizing Ugh. to watch. Oof, that was tough. Yeah, I like sat down yesterday with a big smile on my face. I was like, I'm gonna watch the Blue Jays, and it's like, oh nope, this is awful. This is horrible. <laughs> I hate it. Truly terrible. Bye. Um, all right, we got uh, about five minutes left here. In the show, um, I think we've uh, we've probably done done the job on the three way trade for now. Uh, one of the things we we're going to talk about you're never you're never done with a three way. You're just out of ideas. Oh boy, <laughs> oh boy, stop it! <laughs> Trance is getting loopy now. 
Um, I'm sorry. It's, no, it's all right. Whatever. I've, oh, by the way. I've done such a good job containing myself. Uh, the, the, I know what I wanted to bring up. It's relate, related to the Flyers. Um, Carter Hart, rumored to be out there. Now, I saw another one of your athletic colleagues uh, who covers the Flyers, Charlie O'Connor, saying, don't hold your breath on it happening today. So it looks like we're not going to get a chance to break it here. But that also that it's out there that there's a, a, at least a decent chance that Carter Hart could be moved. Um where do you see potential destinations, potential fits if the Philadelphia Flyers do choose to move Carter Hart in this in this offseason? Um my, okay, my two favorite destinations. One, Buffalo. Buffalo So Buffalo's like on every should they trade for a goalie list, right? Goalies available? Is Buffalo gonna be in on it? And that makes sense. I get it, right? They like you don't want to turn the reins over to uh, to Levi right away and give him, you know, the the clear cut starters workload. You need you need some st- stability there. I get that they're ready to take a step forward if they have that stability and goal. I yeah, can see that it'd be cool too. Like that that's a team that would be cool. Um, with a with a really good defenseman. I mean, they are a cool team. Feels like they're really solid goaltending away from being a real problem in, um, you know, the the Atlantic Division. And so that's sort of number one. Here's here's a sneaky one that I kind of like. What about Seattle? It's an interesting one. Seattle also doesn't have great goaltending. Haven't historically. Although Grubauer played really well in the playoffs. And <laughs> I love calling anything about the Kraken in historical terms. <laughs> historically, they've really struggled at goalie. Since 1919, <laughs> the Seattle Metropolitan <laughs> slash Kraken have struggled to identify... Yeah. Um, and then also, you know, Philly's shown. So I actually want to talk about this because this is a fascinating part of this trade. Wouldn't it have been easy for Philadelphia and Columbus to get together and do Provorov without LA's help? Provorov with some retention for a first and a second seems like a fair trade. Um. Yeah, but I guess what's happening here is Philly is using their, as I was saying, they're using their financial muscle to get more assets out of the, out of the slightly distressed asset of, of Ivan Provorov. For sure, and in, in, in that manner, too, they're indicating a preference. They're making a choice, and what's that choice? That choice is they would rather have distressed player assets than retention, than dead money for a couple yeah. of years. With Which I love, by the way, because like with Walker... If that's, I'd way rather have Walker than two million of retention because Walker you could probably flip into an asset. There's at least a chance you can well, well, if, if you have the actual player. And even if you can, there's value in optionality. Yeah. Right. There's value in the option of being able to do that. Or two million in dead money because you've retained it. You can't do anything with that. It's dead. No, it's, it's on forever. It's, it's, it's fixed. There. It's yeah. a scar on your cap sheet. Whereas you know, worst case scenario, Walker's mobility doesn't bounce back this year you can bury him and then it's a 1.5 million dollar mm-hmm. capital mm-hmm. right i mean there's there's optionality you know cal peterson you pay that four million dollars in signing bonus due to him it's one million in salary next year and if he bounces back great and if not he's a buyout right like it's not really a 10 million dollar liability they're taking on it's more like an eight yeah because of the fact that a he can be buried if he continues to struggle b he can be bought out but c he could also t- be fine. You never know. It's he's a goaltender. You never know. I mean, Aiden Hill has looked lost at various points of his career. Aiden Hill was traded for a fifth round pick before this season, right? And now he's making these key stops, and he's second. He's ahead of Jack Eichel in the cons. My thoughts. Mm-hmm. So weird things happen with goalies. Briere is indicating a preference for optionality that I actually think 
for my criticism of some of his execution and specifically the price he was able to extract from L.A., I actually think that's a pretty interesting approach and a pretty mature one from a first-time general manager. Well, and as you said, to tie that into Seattle, where I think you're going, right, is they take on Chris Dreger. As, you know, you mean you give them Carter Hart, you take on Chris Dreger, and that helps boost – uh, what you're getting back from Seattle in a potential deal helps to you know keep building that war chest that Danny Briere is starting to collect. I like I like that idea. They might from they Philly's might pay they might pay a lot. Yeah. Um. You know I I even wonder if they might consider buying out Dreger. And now you have a Dreger who's only got one year left, three point mm-hmm. five. You've got a Dreger Peterson tandem, and you hope you get one good starter out of them. And hey, guess what? If you don't. Macklin Celebrini, baby, here we come. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, Todd has bad takes, says, tomorrow's show, moist bird tears. Uh, we'll try to avoid that. But thanks for listening today. Uh, the People Show is up next. It is Sportsnet 650.